Greetings from Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Debbie Weatherspoon, and this Sunday, October 1st, we celebrated World Communion Sunday. It was a special Sunday where Easter Hill United Methodist Church joined us in worship, and we had a guest preacher, Jack Jezreel, the founder of Just Faith Ministries. World Communion Sunday is an aspirational day, as our preacher said. It speaks to a hope and that's not unimportant. It's helpful to know that instead of trying to prove any denominational superiority, we might just want to have a looser grip on our dogmatic stances and be for each other. Jack Jezreel reminded us of this point in his sermon. We had special music with Dr. Julie Ford from St. Mary's College of California conducting, and we hope that you will find this service a blessing to you. Our scriptures this morning are from Philippians 2nd chapter 1 through 13 and Matthew 21, 23 through 32 from the message. We celebrate our common communion table with people worldwide. Through Jesus, we are brought together and no matter how we got there, believing in the host of this table makes our joy complete. Let us share our stories, compassion, and sympathy as part of one human family that shares the love of Christ in the breaking of the bread. Hear this scripture from the second chapter of the letter to the Philippians written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison, followed by remembering what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. Imagine those early Christian Philippians gathered at a table, reading these words to one another and remembering the words of Jesus. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, it is his love has made any difference in your life. If, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, 
He set aside the privileges of deity, took on the status of a slave, and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the sovereign. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you should keep doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God is willing and working at what will give the most pleasure. Do you remember the story Jesus told his disciples about the two sons who were asked to work in their father's vineyard? A man had two sons. He went up to the first and said, Son, go out for the day and work in the vineyard. The son answered, I don't want to. <laughs> Later on, he thought better of it and went. The father gave the same command to the second son. He answered, Sure, glad to do it. But he never went. So Jesus asked, Which of the two sons did what the father asked? And the disciples said, the first. Jesus said, yes, and I tell you that crooks and outcasts are going to precede you into God's kingdom. John came, John came to you showing you the right road. You turned up your noses at him, but cro the crooks and outcasts believed him. Even when you saw their changed lives. You didn't care enough to change and believe him. Here, here.
Good morning, church. It's my pleasure to be with you, and I'm uh, quite frankly humbled to be invited to share some reflections with you this morning. And if you don't like what I have to say, the good news is that we can both blame Pastor Debbie. <laughs> so uh, I am not Methodist. I'm Catholic, though I find these days I think of myself as Catholic war with a small c as in Catholic Universal. And I find myself as a person of faith with a lot of years <laughs> inclining toward fewer definitions and fewer walls and a bigger embrace. I think it was the music group U2 that sang the song, There Is No Them, Only Us. So there might be 147 Methodists and two Catholics, maybe another one snuck in, <laughs> in the worship space this morning, but there is only us. Seems like something Jesus might have said. Yeah. Or, or did say, actually. <laughs> and maybe, and maybe... Just maybe that's why Pastor Debbie invited me to speak on a Sunday called World Communion Sunday. World Communion Sunday is a celebration intended to demonstrate the interconnectedness of all Christian churches, regardless of denomination. And in some ways, the message of World Communion Sunday is simply to highlight that we are people committed to the teachings of Jesus. So something like World Communion Sunday is a no-brainer, right? I mean, what else did we expect? World Division Sunday. World I'm Saved and You're Not Sunday. Not likely. So, okay, let's start with just a tiny bit of comedic content. A tourist visiting the city says to his tour guide, you have the right to be so proud of your town. I, I was especially impressed with the number of churches in it. Surely the people here must love the Lord. Well, replied the cynical guide, they may love the Lord, but they sure as hell do hate each other. And then this little short piece, a little girl was asked, do you know what a pagan is? And she said, yes, pagans are people who do not quarrel about religion. <laughs> so you might be guess, you might guess, and you would be right, that when World Communion Sunday was first proposed at, South, at Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1933, there was a reason, the bickering and the tension among and between denominations was then as it can be, can be now, was an unhappy and unhealthy reality. So 30 years after that first World Communion Sunday, 1963, I grew up in a church that said I was going to heaven and Protestants not sure. 
And at the same time, Baptists were being told Baptists were saved. And Lutherans, not sure. And on and on. And one theologian then concludes, poor God. So in this context, to proclaim World Communion Sunday is simply to declare that those of us trying to walk in the footsteps of Jesus should not be in conflict. As our reading from Philippians declares, then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. And I might just mention that this was the same line I used with my kids and with the same results. So World Communion Sunday, of course, is aspirational. It speaks to a hope. And that's not, that is not unimportant. It's helpful to know that instead of trying to, for example, prove our denominational superiority, we might just want to have a looser grip on our dogmatic stances and be for each other. And this is not, my friends, this is not just dreamy, wouldn't that be nice? There is a place where deep-spirited friendship with people from other denominations happens regularly, has happened in my life regularly, has happened in many people's lives over and over. It's a place where communion and interconnectedness happens big time in spite of denominational differences, and I think it points the way for us. Let me explain. Now, having worked on several staffs of several churches during part of my life, I've been a part of many, many efforts to engage in some kind of, I think we called it formal ecumenical dialogue with other denominations. And they would typically go like this. We talk, often uncomfortably, with lots of hesitation, about issues that separate us from one another. Worship, leadership, membership, salvation, and the list goes on. And then we conclude the meetings promising to pray for each other. <laughs> because we don't know what else to do. And in retrospect, those conversations were doomed to go nowhere from the beginning, not because they were bad, or ill-intentioned, or disingenuous, but because of the context in which they were actually happening. It was all about geography. When we talk about church in that kind of context, we're often talking about the wrappings, about rituals, or maybe leadership, our separate pieces of real estate, our denominationally cloistered behavior, but it's all peripherals. The more promising context is when we are exercising being church together. Now, what does that mean? My friends, church necessarily has a mission. The mission of the church is described in the most repeated phrase in the four Gospels. And that repeated phrase is the reign of of God. 142 times Jesus speaks to the reign of God. It is his dream, 
It is his north star. It is his vision. Jesus envisions and lives to a wor- into a world in which God reigns, which means love reigns, which means justice reigns, which means forgiveness reigns, which means for compassion reigns, mercy reigns, and he invites us to that task. We're invited to walk in his footsteps. And the best of church, the best of church is when the church is wholeheartedly engaged in mission. I'll repeat that. The best of church is when the church is wholeheartedly engaged in mission. When we are working side by side with those who are impoverished. When we are working side by side to dismantle racism. When we are working side by side to build bridges between enemies. When we are working to protect and help restore the planet. We are, we are the best of church. And this. This is the place where communion between churches happens most readily. Now, at least some of you are familiar with the organization called Habitat for Humanity, which builds housing for low-income families with children. And one of the features of Habitat is that it involves volunteer labor in the construction of the new homes. So people from all kinds of churches volunteer on a Saturday, for example, to hammer nails, paint, put up drywall, and build a house. And here's the deal. Everybody gets along. In fact, they don't just get along. They enjoy themselves. They, they enjoy meeting from other churches. And to quote Philippians again, they agree with each other, love each other, and become deep-spirited friends. Now here's the deal, in all my time at a Habitat project, I have never had a Methodist look at me disdainfully and say, you swing a hammer like a Catholic. (laughs) In fact, he doesn't know and he doesn't care. And what has happened at the Habitat project has happened to me in the community organizing meetings, has happened in the anti-racism rallies, has happened in the tree planting coalition meetings, has happened in the emergency assistance to tornado victims in the state of Kentucky. Ironically, ironically, this happens more often off church property than on. You see, side by side, in mission, we are one. Side by side on mission, we know who we are. Side by side on mission, we don't care and maybe don't even see the differences between us. Side by side on mission, we do our best walking in the footsteps of Jesus together. Now, my friends, if if it has been hard for churches of different denominations to find communion with one another, it might well be because so many churches have detached themselves from mission. Church, instead, can become a belonging system of self-assurances 
that we are somehow in God's favor because we take communion the right way or say the Our Father the right way or whatever. And we think of church as something that primarily happens in a church building. But interestingly, if we start, if we start with mission, then the other stuff can all fall into place. My guess if we started with a commitment to love the world's wounds, if we committed ourselves to hearing the voices of those who've been pushed away, it would make decisions about leadership and membership much clearer. Those of you who have ears to hear know what I am talking about right now. And here's the truth that I find instructive. I am much closer to Methodists and Lutherans and Mennonites committed to mission than I am to Catholics sitting in the same pew in my church who do not care about the work of social justice. And it's not a theoretical connection, my friends. It's felt, right? My affection for Debbie, and who can't like Debbie, by the way? <laughs> my affection for Debbie in part comes from a shared commitment to the work, the dream of making a world in which every brother and sister has enough to eat and hope and the possibility for their lives. And yes, while World Communion Sunday speaks to the interconnectedness of Christian denominations, our faith, our shared faith tradition extends the possibility of communion even beyond that. As a people of faith committed to mission, we recognize the connections among us. We're grateful to share a common vision, a common experience of faith, a common language, common commitments to forgiveness, Simplicity, nonviolence, equity, economic justice. These things, as I mentioned, bring us into common purpose and a kindred spirit. But this faith we share forges relationships much wider than just church. Faith is the engine to building relationships well beyond our denominational home bases with, with and in the power of the Holy Spirit, with and in the Spirit of Jesus, we are compelled to reach out to whoever is gifted to our daily path. You see, my friends, love is one piece. And what that means is we either love everyone or we only prefer. If our love is dependent upon a certain set of conditions, that you are like me, that you look like me, that you think like me, that you pray like me, then our love is incomplete. It is, in effect, the love of the Hatfields for the Hatfields. Conversely, to love, to love large, to love without conditions, to love without borders, is to put us in a place where every human being can become friend and or neighbor. It is liberating, it is empowering, it is healing, and people who practice compassion, who develop skills in nonviolence, who engage in the work of justice, who build bridges, who strive to live as simply as possible, are practicing an art of living inspired by Jesus that brings 
that brings light and life to the world. So our ultimate task is not just to build or rebuild relationships with other Christians. That is good. It's more than good. But it's one step. The ultimate task is to be about the healing of this world. Finally, let me speak of one last communion, communion with God himself. One of Jesus' most interesting offers is what we translate as abundant life. Now, that phrase is sometimes translated as eternal life, which might give you the impression that it's supposed to start when you die. But the full meaning of the word goes something like this. Abundant life, life in the here and now, which is so richly lived that it intersects with God's life, which is unbounded by time. You see, the offer and the experience of abundant life begins in the here and now. And the invitation of Jesus is we might experience our lives in a way that is most satisfying, most fulfilling, most abundant. The irony of all this, the paradox actually, the paradox of all this is that we discover our lives by giving them away. We don't know who we are until we've given ourselves away. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, where is its life? We don't know who we are until we give ourselves away. So to discover ourselves, we must give ourselves over to the good of others, the good of all, the good of the world. All right, I'm running out of time. So let me close, let me close with this image. When the body of Christ, when the church, that is, all of us, when the body of Christ, when we have spent our week breaking ourselves open and then giving ourselves away, when the body of Christ, which is all of us, have spent our week pouring ourselves out and giving ourselves as drink to all who thirst, then gather on a Sunday and in the breaking of bread and the sharing of a cup, we recognize God's presence and ourselves again. So on this World Communion Sunday, let communion abound. Let communion be proclaimed in every church. Let communion be proclaimed in every country. Let communion be proclaimed in every heart. And thank you. Between the earth and sky
Oh. 